Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Crossover Across Time podcast for yet another one of our bonus episodes. This time uh, on this Saturday bonus episode, we're going to be talking about uh, a another franchise focus episode, this time focusing on the San Antonio Spurs, um, who, of course, were one of the four current NBA teams who uh, trace their roots back to the ABA, the American Basketball Association, uh, where they started out, interestingly enough, as the Dallas Chaparrales, uh, kind of a forgotten note of their history there. Um of course, the the way this franchise focus segment works is uh, we look at a specific franchise in greater detail and we do it in three different parts. We first look at uh, that current franchise as far as what they've done the last few seasons, their current roster makeup, what their options are and their outlook is going forward. We then talk about a notable uh, team from that franchise's history from one specific season Um could be a, a contending team, could be a team that won a championship, could be a team that has a lot of what-if type characteristics. And then finally, we talk about a uh, legendary and or notable player from that franchise's history, somebody who's integral integral, excuse me, to the fabric of that franchise, a key member um, of that organization. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and get started. When we're talking about the current-day San Antonio Spurs, um, we fall into the same uh, realm of conversation as we had with teams like the uh, the Houston Rockets that we just talked about, uh, the Detroit Pistons, um, teams that are you know Charlotte Hornets, teams that are uh, among the the worst teams record wise in the NBA this season, um, but are looking to build for the future, and that's really begun in earnest this season. You look at last season's roster; um, they had of course traded away. Um, DeMar DeRozan in that prior off season, but they still had Derek White for half that season, Jakob Pertl, uh, DeJounte Murray, most notably, he was an all-star that season and he was the star of the Spurs in that season um, alongside a recent Team USA player, Keldon Johnson, uh, who was, you know, still developing. So they had some a touch of that proven you know, veteran type presence, even if it wasn't ultra experienced as far as a great number of years, you know, DeJounte Murray had been in the league long enough that he had ascended now to an all-star type level, was able to lead that team. Jakob Pertl was a proven uh, solid center and they had the young core around them. Um, but then uh, DeJounte Murray, they lost him in the off season uh, midway through this season, they traded Jakob Pertl um, and, Really, this season they've committed to we are now a, you know, truly rebuilding team, which is quite honestly new for this Greg Popovich um, San Antonio Spurs era. And that's a, it's a long era. You know, of course, everyone is aware of Greg Popovich, how phenomenal he has been as a head coach. He's also had moderate success at different moments playing a GM type of role with the Spurs along with uh, R.C. Buford, I think gets a lot of that credit as well. But um, if you look at when he started with the Spurs, his first season, uh, well, his first moments coaching the team were during the 97 season when David Robinson missed most of that season. Um, but that wasn't really a rebuilding year. They were just an off year because they knew that Robinson would be back next year. And it just so happened that season would be perfectly aligned to give them the number one 
overall choice in the draft in which they used to select Tim Duncan. So since that moment, that auspicious 97 season where they cratered uh, at the perfect opportunity, since that moment, the Spurs have at the very least been a, you know, semi-competitive team. And, and those at the worst seasons were the last few seasons um, in which they were sub 500 every season prior to that uh, 2019 season. And before the Spurs were above 500 and most of those, they were well above 600 um, as far as a winning percentage, you know, that this was the true era. I mean, Spurs consecutive playoff appearances, five titles. We know the whole story and uh, you know, that's not what we're really focused on at the moment. I'm just trying to paint the picture as far as how um, unheralded maybe is a word we could use, but you could also say um, it's not uh, ultra commonplace. You know, we're not, I'm struggling to come up with the, the, the perfect word for this, but basically, you know, there's teams that, you know, they have a run that goes for, five or six seasons, maybe, you know, a little bit longer. And then uh, whatever factors come into play, they have to, you know, tear that down and start from scratch, rebuild that roster Um, to have that long of sustained success about a 20 year period, um, a little bit longer than 20 years is phenomenal and true credit to, you know, what the Spurs organization was able to do and what Greg Popovich was able to do. But again, that's the past. And, there were signs of the fall the last few seasons. They, you know, lost Kawhi Leonard in that trade. Um, you know, it was it was a trade, so they they had the choice to get rid of him, but um, the hand was kind of forced in some circumstances. So they get back to Marta Rosen, who's just a step down player, still a solid player, but he has a bit of a regression in San Antonio. They have the waning years of Lamarcus Aldridge. They then uh, lose to Marta Rosen. They lose some of their young talent and now they're in this pure rebuilding stage. Again, a lot of that that we were just talking about is kind of building background as to what this season is right now. This season, 19 and 54 on the season. Um, they'll probably get, you know, up to the low 20s and wins. Um, probably a finishing record, something along the lines of 22 and 60, 23 and 59. Um, you know, one of the worst record teams in the in the NBA uh at least in the 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 western conference almost said the western conference um but their roster despite plentiful injury troubles and um a bit of off court issues early in the season wildly enough you know we're not really used to seeing that at all with San Antonio but um there's a certain player who had some issues off the court but outside of that and a, a swift releasing of that player from the roster. There's just a ton of youngish, younger talent, young talent. That's, um, you know, really going to be the, the pool of options for the Spurs. Maybe that's the way we phrase it. I mean, you look at the roster right now, of course. Um, let's see here. Jakob Pertl, he was traded mid season to the Raptors. So he's no longer a pick part of this picture, but he was one of the slightly older players on the roster. So, you know, we'll keep that in mind outside of him. We've got Keldon Johnson, Devin Vassell, Trey Jones, Jeremy Sohan, the rookie, um, Malachi Branham. Zach Collins is in this mix, even though he's a touch of an older player, still not too old. 
Uh, Devontae Graham recently acquired. He's a little bit older for this particular roster. Um, Sandrew Mamukilashvili recently acquired, who's had some really bright moments for the Spurs. Keita Bates-Diop, Doug McDermott, Romeo Langford, Blake Wesley. I mean, again, and now we're getting into kind of the guys that aren't getting a ton of minutes, but there's a mix of young, interesting players who have shown varying degrees of consistency and developing that talent. I think, you know, the surest bet and the player who's done the kind of the most with what they have at this moment would be Kelton Johnson. Um, of course, he's been on the Spurs for a couple of seasons now. We mentioned that he was a part of Team USA's Olympic team in the 2020 Olympics, um, which, of course, were played in 2021. Um, part, part of that, you know, he might have gotten favoritism to be on the roster because Greg Popovich is the current head coach of Team USA. Um, you know, maybe some parts of that are true, but he's he's still a solid NBA pro and he did have a, he was productive in that, those Olympics. Um, so I don't think that that's really, if there's a complaint there, I don't think it's really a credible complaint and he's shown a lot of, of, uh, promise for the Spurs. I mean, he's their leading scorer of the season, about 22 points a game, uh, five rebounds, three assists. So, um, not just putting up some points. He's a little bit of versatile. Um, the shooting numbers aren't stellar, um, defensively, maybe some question marks, but Overall, you know, he's he's shown some signs for the future. I'm not sure about quite all-star type player, but he could be a very solid, serviceable, above-average starter in the NBA at the very least. Um, alongside him, the rookie Jeremy Sohan has had a very interesting rookie campaign. Um, of course, he has a uh, he's had a kind of a splashy appearance. You know, he's the rookie who's um, dyeing his hair a lot, and he just so happens to wear the number ten. For the San Antonio Spurs, he's playing a power forward. Um, there's, you know, lazy comparisons. Oh, he's the new Dennis Rodman. Um, and first of all, they're di- different types of personalities, but also different types of play styles. There are some similarities. So, I mean, he's been a very um, above average rebounder for a rookie, um, not playing a wealth of minutes, but those minutes have steadily gone up um, and he's had better and better games, but he has had his own injury troubles at times. Um, and he's also been working on the free throws. You know, that was an interesting talking point early, um, working with the Spurs coaching staff. He, uh, was struggling with free throw shooting early on. They encouraged him to work on a one-handed free throw routine to focus on getting that, um, you know, proper wrist flick and release action and, uh, not using left hand at all, you know, and, uh, a credit to him, you know, if you're going to do that in the, I mean, any era, but especially now with the um, social media presence and activeness surrounding the NBA, um, if you're going to make that kind of a move and shoot one-handed free throws, you're going to have some people giving you a hard time online, in the media maybe, but um, he's just focused on trying to be a better player, and so that's been a credit to him. He's now shooting just about 70% from the free throw line. Uh, so something's working there. And he's also been a bit versatile, you know, not just a rebounder. He can put some points up, um, you know, a lot more offensively talented than a, a Dennis Rodman as well. So again, um, he's a, he's a bright spot for the Spurs as well. As far as that potential uh, Devin Vassell, who's missed a lot of the season with injury. He's got his moments too. He's averaging about 19 points a game, four rebounds, three and a half assists. He's got a little bit more of that defensive edge too, and his shooting percentages are better. 
Um, if it weren't for injury troubles and the um, lack of experience compared to a Keldon Johnson, both of those still young players, I'd say Vassell is probably the, you know, biggest point of, you know, exciting potential for the Spurs. Trey Jones is interesting too. The younger brother of Tyus Jones has been um, a decent enough point guard for them. Still pretty young, averaging about 12 points, six assists, three and a half rebounds, um, about a steal, a little more than a steal a game as well. The shooting percentages are not great from three. He's a great free throw shooter, but he's an interesting piece too. And again, all of these guys pretty young. Um, Devontae Graham's interesting in this mix. I'm not sure he'll be an ultra long-term piece for the Spurs team, although he's still pretty young himself. He's only... Um, Oh, he's older than I thought. He's old 28. So he's kind of getting into his uh, prime in the NBA. Um, We've seen some interesting moments from Malachi Branham too. uh, Another rookie alongside Jeremy Sohan. Um, He's had increased opportunities in key games and he's had some big scoring nights. So he's another piece to add to this mix. Um, And we could go on, you know, Mamou Kalashvili, he's only played 10 games, but he's already averaging 9.6 rebounds a game. Um, Romeo Langford still has some of that shine on him as a, a potential player uh, in the NBA. You know, and there's a lot of a lot more we could go into detail here, but um, really we got to focus on just that general premise. And that's, you know, it's kind of simple for the Spurs. I mean, shades of it are, com- are comparable to the Rockets where, you know, Jalen Green, as exciting as he is, he's got some struggles from uh, as far as shooting percentages and that team you know, hasn't done a lot of growing in some senses, but for the Spurs, you know, this is their first true seasons of a rebuild project. And, you know, you anticipate the, them being a, a lottery pick, a top four type of pick in the upcoming draft. They've got a bunch of young prospects that are still developing and it's, you know, in a sense, blank canvas, but they've got a ton of paints um, to work with on that canvas. They've got a lot of players. They've got one of the greatest coaches in NBA history to help guide those players. So the Spurs have an advantage there. Um, for fans perspective, you know, I think maybe this is me talking as far as a, you know, touch of a bitter fan who's had a team that's been close to contending a lot in their history and has failed to, um, most of the time failed to go deep in the playoffs. And when they've gone to a deep playoff situation, they haven't been able to pull it off compared to a team like the Spurs. Who's won five titles in the last 20 years. I think if you're a Spurs fan, you know, you're able to look back on all that, you know, this is kind of your time to, you know, okay. It was the end of that era. You know, it was kind of an interesting, weird winding gradual close to that era, you know, Kawhi being traded for DeRozan and all of that. But now that's fully over, you know, that consecutive playoff runs, the titles, the hall of famers, all of that is over. And it's this blank canvas with your hall of fame head coach. Um, you know, still a great fan base. You have this time to kind of look back on the past success and then have that op- optimism for what's going forward. And again, there's a lot of interesting pieces here. I like Sohan. I like Keldon Johnson, Vassell too, Trey Jones. You know, there's a lot of pieces here that could be really honed in and 
they could become their own kind of a solid team and get the Spurs back in the playoffs within the next few years. Uh, maybe some additional talent that, that they acquire in the draft. So, you know, from a fan perspective, you know, this is your time to rebuild, you know, it comes for every franchise at some point. And so you kind of embrace it. You look back on the positive moments uh, in your franchise's history and you look for, you know, what's in the future, who's going to be the guys that will be here long-term who will be part of the next phase of Spurs basketball. And so a little bit of a longer take on um, current team direction. Than maybe we've done with teams in the past, but um, I don't know. There's just a lot of interesting pieces here that we could talk about. And uh, that's maybe why we took a little bit longer on that one with that. Let's shift the conversation to the second part of our segment. And that is a historic team from that franchise history. Now, of course we've already mentioned it almost ad nauseum at this point, the Spurs incredible history uh, 98 to 2019 playoffs every year, five titles, uh, multiple conference finals appearances, um, one or two times or one time where they made the finals and lost in 2013, uh, you know, deep playoff runs throughout all of those anchored by Duncan, Ginobili, Parker, Kawhi Leonard a bit. And so uh, David Robinson and Ear- David Robinson early on as well. So there's that run. They had the mid nineties run when David Robinson was at his peak, he was a league MVP uh, and they had a great cast around him. Um, Terry Cummings was in there at moments, even Dennis Rodman. Um, There's the seventies, of course, in their ABA days where they were contending for ABA type championships. Um, But I want to talk about a team from that era. Once they joined the NBA and they joined the NBA, um, in a favorable position as far as talent that was pretty comparable to what the NBA had at that time. You know, the Spurs were able to start their NBA campaign 44 and 38 um, above 500. They made the playoffs lost in the first round, but it was a good, you know, first start. Hey, we've, we've got the right mix. We can keep building on what we have with our all-star player. And from 77 to 83, seven total seasons, they were in the playoffs every year. Um, Four of those first seven, they were in the Eastern Conference. That's another interesting note in NBA history. At one point, both the Houston Rockets and the San Antonio Spurs were in the Eastern Conference, which is very interesting. But regardless, um, you know, they were in the conference finals, either the East or the West, three of those seven seasons. And the team I want to talk about is the last of those consecutive playoff appearances and the last of three seasons with Stan Albeck as their head coach. And that is the 1983 San Antonio Spurs, the 82, 83 season in which they, um, oh, excuse me, got the burps. They had the, a, uh, franchise best 53 wins at that point in their franchise history, 53 wins, uh, 29 losses. They were, uh, first in their division, I think they were potentially uh, top in the West. No, they actually, they were probably second to the Lakers, as were most teams in this era. Yes, they were second in the Western Conference altogether, first in their division. Uh, so they clinched that second seed in the playoffs. And what makes this team interesting, we're talking about, of course, this is towards the end of George Gervin's run with the Spurs. He was still playing at an all-star level. I mean, 26 points a game, uh, 
four and a half rebounds, three and a half assists, um, about a steal and a block per game. Great percentages all around. You know, people think of him as the original, you know, comparable to a Kevin Durant in some ways. Um, and that's a decent comparison, you know, longer, um, taller scoring guys, you know, Gervin was kind of an outlier in his era. I mean, a guy that was six, seven, a little bit lanky, but being able to do the things he was able to do at his height, he was a little more versatile than people were expecting for that height in some circumstances, you know, not as drastic as the Durant seven footer being able to do what he does, but he was still an all-star scoring champion type of player in 83, but they had maybe his best co-stars, his best supporting cast of his career. And it started with the 82, the 80, the off season, the 1982 summer before that 83 season. And the Spurs had, again, they had a decent, you know, front line with Dave Corzine and Mark Olberding, uh, two of the main guys we'll talk about. They were shipped off in July to the Bulls for their all-star center artist Gilmore. And, now you have Gervin with Artis Gilmore, two Hall of Famers. You have Mike Mitchell, who was already on the roster, uh, who had been acquired the previous season during the season. Um, he was an all-star in Cleveland very recently. Um, you have Gene Banks, who's a little undersized, but he's uh, been a very productive NBA pro. He had a great rookie season the prior year to this. And he's now going to be the starting power forward alongside Mike Mitchell. And you have Johnny Moore, one of the underrated point guards in NBA history, a forgotten Spurs great. He led the league in assists in the 82 season. And the next season he would have uh, even a touch better season, averaging about 10 assists per game in 83. So you've got a great starting lineup all around. Um, Hard to do much better than that. You've got a good bench too. Um, Edgar Jones coming off the bench, one of the, um, you know, a, a versatile power forward. Maybe you can plug him in at the center. Um, defends, rebounds well enough. You've got Mike Dunleavy Sr. Uh, in kind of the middle of his long NBA career, um, you know, playing, uh, you know, kind of that backup point guard, shooting guard role. Um able to bring you great play off the bench and that um, knowledge of the game that he would later use in his coaching career. Billy Paltz, uh, a forgotten name, another ABA standout who was in the tail end of his NBA in his long professional career, but a great um, backup big to have. So you've got good depth at a lot of these positions um, and they kind of go, you know, really eight deep this roster. I mean, Jones, Dunleavy and Paltz were the main bench guys. Um, a lot of the other guys, Mike Sanders, who would get bigger opportunities later in his career. This was his rookie season, um, a small forward with some decent moments off the bench. Uh, Roger Fegley as well. Um, shooting guard who put up some okay points at various moments, uh, but they've got a good rotation. They keep it a bit short in the playoffs, but they've still got, you know, great players. They've also got Paul Griffin who was injured uh, during the playoffs, but, uh, or did not play during the playoffs. I believe it was because of an injury, but he was a, a bruising big inside as well. So they've got a great rotation. They've got an even better starting lineup and the acquisition of artist Gilmore. I mean, he stayed productive in that, uh, he played every game that season for the Spurs, averaging 18 points, 12 rebounds, 
2.3 blocks, doing everything you need him to inside, still at that all-star type level. George Gervin scoring outside. Mike Mitchell adds that secondary scoring, averaging just about 20 points a game, six, nearly seven rebounds. Uh, so he, you know, their their front court, along with Gene Banks, I mean, Gene Banks, 15 points, seven and a half rebounds. They've got a lot of good height, size, and rebounding in there. Johnny Moore distributing, again, about 10 assists a game, two and a half steals. It's such a well-rounded roster. I like this roster so much. And, you know, they made a push in the playoffs. Um, they won their first round series versus uh, another fellow former ABA team, the Denver Nuggets. And they go to the conference finals again, and they play the Los Angeles Lakers again. And this is another one of those stories where they're a very nice all-round team and a very great lineup in a era where they're playing against all-time great teams, you know. It just play you happen to be in the same conference at the same time as one of the greatest, you know, eras of basketball for a particular franchise ever. I mean, the 80s Lakers consistently winning 57 56 games a season easily they're easily going to win the division and they're going to be in the finals every year pat riley is a coach jerry west is the gm you have magic kareem um james worthy in his i believe that was his rookie season um yes james worthy in his rookie season you've got a future hall of famer in jamal wilkes uh oh you know norm nixon playing point guard alongside magic so you've got two great distributors michael cooper coming into his own as a defensive beast uh kurt rambis versatile oh and not to mention bob mcadoo another hall of famer coming off the bench uh along with a couple other you know decent rotational pieces and um as great as that spurs team was they weren't going to be able to beat that lakers team in a playoff series you know it's just kind of a shame for the spurs sake of course the lakers were the team of the 80s in the west you can't argue that at all i mean if you had to pick a second i guess it'd be houston but like how are you going to beat magic and kareem um i mean george gervin's fantastic artist gilmore but the, it just wasn't quite enough as stellar as those guys were and that's kind of the shame of it so this team gets forgotten and this was really the last true contending season for a george, george gervin led spurs squad um, you look after this, they miss the playoffs the next season. They slip into the playoffs in 85, uh, lose in the first round. By then, they've gone through a couple different head coaches. And by that point, uh, George Gervin, uh, after the 85 season, he is um, shipped off to Chicago. You know, Similar, they got Artis Gilmore from Chicago. They then send George Gervin to Chicago, where he'd play alongside Michael Jordan in his um sophomore season in the NBA. So yeah, that was kind of the end of that era of, you know, George Gervin and the original Spurs, their maiden voyage in the NBA, but it was a great team, you know, such a great well-rounded roster. You know, I like the balance of this. And of course I, I love George Gervin. He's one of my favorite players. And so um, just a shame, but wanted to highlight what that team was able to do uh, they, their potency, they were, you know, they lost that conference finals in six games versus the Lakers. It was two to four, you know, 
and that was a hard fought series. You know, the Lakers had to earn that finals appearance in which they lost to the, the Santa, the, uh, excuse me, the Philadelphia 76ers. And so the Spurs really gave them a run for their money. Could the Spurs, if they managed to beat the Lakers, could they have beat the Sixers? It's hard to say, you know, that Sixers team felt like it was, you know, I mean, throughout the seventies, the late seventies, early eighties, you know, Dr. J continually pushing for a championship, that 83 team, they get Moses Malone and it feels like, you know, that whole season, everyone expects them to win title and they, they fulfill that all the way. And so it's tough to say that Spurs team would have won that series, but I think it still would have been a competitive series. Artis Gilmore versus Moses Malone would have been very interesting as it was Moses Malone versus Kareem was interesting in and in and of itself. But yeah, I'll, I'll finish it there. Uh, I'll finish that segment of our show. Great all round team, you know, great to think back and see, you know, what a roster and, you know, if they could have beat the Lakers, what could have happened? So anyways, that takes care of our historic team. Let's wrap things up with our historic legendary notable player, whichever you want to classify it as depending on the player, depending on the franchise, this one, uh, I'd say legendary player. And I'd say, uh, important part of their franchise, uh, foundation. I'm going to talk about, and, um, yet again, this is also somewhat of an excuse for me to be able to talk about another one of my favorite players and to talk about the ABA. We're talking about James Silas, who has a few different nicknames listed on basketball reference. We have Captain Late. We also have the Snake uh, and the late Mr. Psy. So we have a few interesting, certainly 70s-esque nicknames here. Um, and, you know, Silas has an interesting story. He was born in Louisiana, but um, spent most of his life in... Uh, oh, no, sorry. He, he was born and raised in Louisiana, Tallulah, Louisiana, uh, went to high school there and then went to college in uh, Texas at Stephen F. Austin. So he had a four-year career at Stephen F. Austin, led them in his senior year to a 29-1 record and averaged 30 points a game. Very good college career. I think at that time, Stephen F. Austin was not probably a you know, ultra-highly-ranked um college program um they might have even been like a, a division two or whatever that specific um you know distinction would have been but despite an impressive college career he was not uh hugely touted as a prospect coming out of college in 1972 uh drafted in the fifth round by the rockets and then waived before the season started it almost seemed like his career is kind of dead in the water at that point. But then um, the ABA, you know, fortunately for him, there's another league to draw on that has, you know, close-ish to the same kind of level of competition. Um, Babe McCarthy, who was the head coach of the Dallas Chaparrals at the time, uh, gives him a chance, signs him on for the Chaparrals, and, you know, makes good on that in his rookie season, averaging about 31 minutes a game, uh, 14 points, three assists, four rebounds as that shooting guard type of spot. Um, starting alongside, let me see if I can pull up who that other, who the point guard would have been on that roster. That roster, uh, Joe Hamilton, it looks like, would have been more that uh, point guard type position. Uh, Hamilton, of course, had already been um, 
he had been all rookie himself just a couple of seasons prior. Um, so he started alongside him, but then in the sophomore season, you know, became more of the point guard and then would go on to have a great career for the San Antonio Spurs. Um, of course, his first season, they were still the Chaparrales, but in 73, they rebranded, moved to San Antonio, became the Spurs. And from 73 to 81, he played uh, eight seasons with San, the San Antonio franchise as it existed. During that time, he was a two-time ABA All-Star uh, and a two-time All-ABA selection. Uh, All-Rookie all team member again uh, on that uh, in that rookie season, as well as ABA All-Time team. Uh, so, you know, his his four full seasons in the ABA, he averaged 18 points, four assists, four rebounds, and uh, about one and a half steals per game. When they joined the NBA, admittedly, he did have a dip in play, but he also did not uh, play nearly as many minutes. For whatever reason, in 77, he played about 16 minutes a game in only 22 games played. And 78, he played eight minutes a game in 37 games total. Um, so between the two seasons did not play a full uh, season's worth of games played less than half the minutes he was used to playing. I would have to think that it was likely some injury type issues. So otherwise it really doesn't explain that kind of dip in production. Thankfully though, in 78, he bounced right back. Um, he was not playing the same minutes he had played prior to that you know, about 28 minutes a game, but he was still, he was maybe even more efficient, about 16 points a game, three and a half assists, uh, two and a half rebounds. And he would keep that up for a couple more seasons. You know, he would still, he would show that, you know, those first couple seasons in the NBA, he was not going to be, you know, just an ABA commodity that flamed out in the NBA. He would have three full seasons of very productive NBA play where he was a great starting point guard, not an all-star by any means, but, you know, scoring and distributing point guard who could really get it done um, in the NBA. So credit to him. He was traded. He was part of that. Um, actually, no, I don't want to say that. I don't believe he was part of that trade, but he was traded in the 81 offseason uh, to the Cleveland Cavaliers with a um, uh, kind of an unknown drafted commodity, Rich Yonacor who didn't really get much traction in the NBA. Um, you know, Silas would go on to play one season with the, the Cavaliers. He would play, um, hold on one second. He would play, you know, just a little bit less minutes. He'd play more of a shooting guard spot again, be decent, did not play the next season with some injury troubles and then would call it a career, you know, and that's really kind of the end of the story. And it's, it's, you know, you wonder why, I'd want to talk about him. Well, first of all, ABA All-Star. As I mentioned, I love talking about the ABA. He was also one of the best free throw shooters, especially considering his era. You're talking about a player in the early 70s to the early 80s who averaged across his career about 85.5% from the free throw line. Um, very good. And he's shooting a lot of free throws per game. In 76, he shot 80. Actually, you know, let's take his two All-Star seasons, 75 and 76 playing pretty much full seasons, both se both of those seasons, 21 points per game across those two seasons, five assists. So this was the best run of his career, but he also shot seven free throws a game and shot 87, nearly 88% from the free throw line. So 
great free throw shooter, but also a great scorer all round with the distributing, the, the rebounding. And let's keep in mind, he was 6'1 to 180. He was not a big guard. So he was, you know, a pretty good rebounding guard, especially for his size, um, along with the free throw shooting that he's able to accomplish. That's a great note to, to mention. Another interesting note, he's uh, he's got some some lineage to his name. He had a son, Xavier Silas, who has played in the NBA and has had has certainly not had a storied NBA career by any means. He's played a total of four games, one, uh, two of them coming in the 2012 season for Philadelphia, and then the other two coming in 2018 with the Boston Celtics. Um, so about a five, six-year gap between those, you know, pair of two game appearances kind of an odd one but um you know had that nba lineage that legacy and uh that's another interesting note but then also might not know that james silas was the first player ever to have his number retired by the spurs um you know some of that factors in that he was you know not a part of the organization by that point. George Gervin was still going. Um, you could be, you know, a bit pessimistic and, and point to that, but I'm going to focus on the fact that he was the first one. Uh, his number 13, first number retired by the Spurs, and only 10 people have had their number retired by the Spurs overall. So that's another great one. Lastly, he had great style. I mean, if you are not familiar with James Silas, you've never seen a picture, you got to look him up. I mean, he's wearing the fantastic Spurs jerseys from the ABA and the early NBA years, the black Jersey with the black lettering and the white outline. One of the best jerseys in NBA history. If you ask me, he's got that going. Plus he's wearing the chain and he's got, you know, he's got the fro. It's not an out of control fro, but it's a tight fro with the beard. He's got the chain. I mean, come on. It's hard to get much cooler in my mind than James Silas and he was a great player on top of it. So that's why I've decided along with all those other factors to talk about James Silas, you know, sometimes with these franchise focus segments, I'm combing through a bunch of players from that franchise history. And I'm thinking, Oh, this guy'd be interesting. This guy'd be interesting. And uh, I had some of that with the Spurs, but as soon as I saw James Silas's name, I said, I've got to talk about James Silas. Um, because you know I have some personal bias, but he was a great player, and again, he was integral to the early founding years of that Spurs franchise, especially in San Antonio. He was part of that last Dallas Chaparral's team. Moves to San Antonio, gives them credibility as a long-term starting point guard, helps gives them stability. They then get George Gervin, and they become a high-quality team, one of the teams that's viable to move into the NBA. And so he really contributed to the to the Spurs in that regard, uh, along with a few other ways as well. So James Silas, shout out to you. We got to talk about him. Um, great player, you know, and a forgotten important player in the Spurs history. Um, with that, that takes care of our franchise focus for the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, I want to thank you all again for listening. We really appreciate it. If you want to check out uh, the Instagram page for the show, that's crossover across time on instagram that's all one word no capital letters we share content from the show and also do our best to share content from across the nba so it's a great place to uh 
you know, you take that along with the podcast itself. It's a great place to stay up to date on the NBA and get that historic perspective on the NBA. So definitely we recommend that. We thank you for checking that out and for listening to the podcast. Um, we'll be back, of course, on Monday with our normal, uh, normally scheduled show. We'll do our, you know, game summaries, our game previews for the week. We'll talk the latest news. And we'll talk about our latest power rankings and weekly MVP. Um, at that point, we'll, we'll only have two weeks left in the season. So we're getting really down to the wire where we'll have a much clearer picture of what's happening in the, in the NBA. Um, once again, thank you all for listening. And we'll be back with you on Monday.